it really made me realize that you know when you're creating an ensemble you you need everybody to be in their own corner it's like they're they're all holding you know the blanket that the audience is going to jump into and if they're not all in different places the audience will not bounce uh, then you you know you you must create characters who are naturally opposed naturally individual and then ultimately they always end up sort of fulfilling certain things what well, there is always one of them who we refer to as the Cordelia the one who says what everybody's thinking in a mean way and then Spike became that and sometimes it was Jane and you know and it's uh, it's different every time but um, but you always need all those things and then and people break them down in different ways they go oh, that's my family that's my friends that's my brain that's you know that's that's how they're built fans welcome to another episode of not a bomb podcast this is the show where a lot of the critical bombs and box office bombs get a second life we take a little time reevaluate them i'm one of your hosts troy and with me is my partner in crime brad happy sunday brad how's the week going it's going great man i am shiny is that right did i use that right i don't know yeah. i would it, you know throw a little chinese around right now but mine is a little rough around the edges so i don't want to embarrass myself Brad, this is episode 33. We're in the month of January where we went back through all the emails and all the suggestions that we got from folks and we kind of let them drive this month. So this is your episode. And what did you choose? I chose the 2005 Josh Whedon uh, directed Serenity, uh, which is the film conclusion of the TV show Firefly uh, from I believe that started in 2002. Um, I also learned Troy that there's a Matthew McConaughey movie called Serenity as well. Um, did you watch it, the right one? I did. I did. Okay, but I just make sure. Oh boy, we might need to do that ser other Serenity at some point in time too. But anyway, we're doing the uh, Western sci-fi film um, from way back in 2005. Awesome. So this was a recommendation from our good friend Mia who happens to be in a long-term relationship with the guest that we brought on today. And I'd love to introduce, again, one of our favorite film fans, Mr. John Nance. How you doing, John? Hey, Troy. Hey, Brad. How's it going? Uh, it's well, great, man. Good for us. <laughs> uh, hey, I got I to gotta preface this, John. So I know this was your wife's recommendation. Yes. And she picked this. But I want you to know you're in a safe place. So we're not going to hold anything against you. And any critical things that you have to say about maybe your wife's favorite movie, it's okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to push you down the stairs accidentally. It's you actually know here. the TV show as well, right? Like you're not oh, some, yeah. yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. And you've got the comics, you know the whole history, right? Uh, not the whole history. I, I mean, I, I don't think I've graduated to brown coat yet, but yeah, I'm a I'm a pretty decent fan. Okay. Well, your Troy told me you knew everything. So if you don't, you just need to leave. Okay. <laughs> you know, just have fun. Uh, you, I know you know everything. You know way more about this whole, I don't know, Firefly, Serenity Universe than either Brad or I. But before we get to talk about both the TV show and the film, I thought it'd be kind of interesting because I, I don't know this about either of you. I was really curious. I mean, this film came about because of a failed TV show that only aired 
one season, 14 episodes, but even those 14 episodes, not all of them aired uh, when it originally ran. Right. And we'll, we'll get into that because that's a pretty interesting history about the TV show. But I was curious about what your guys' favorite TV shows were. And, and full disclosure, there's so many good things out there that I thought we might have to put some rules around this. And the only rule I could think of to come up with was we got to talk about live action. I, I feel like animated TV shows is a whole separate ballgame. So how about we share some of our favorite TV, TV shows, maybe the top three, and we'll, we'll round Robin this thing. So I'm going to start with our guest, John. What is, I guess, your third favorite TV show of all time? So, you know, Firefly fans, uh, fans, don't hate me. Uh, my number three is actually the Firefly show. Um, really? Yeah. I, what I a actually, coincidence that we have you on the show to yeah. talk about your number three and favorite TV show. We didn't show. know that before going into the show. Did I not know that, that at all. No, no. Yeah, this was actually a show that um, back in 2002 really psyched about, um, uh, sat around Friday night anxious to make sure that we could be ready to watch the newest episode. Um, got the VCR ready just in case we missed some pieces. But uh, yeah, it, it was a great show. It was a great ride. Very heartbreaking that they canceled it. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay, Brad, you're number three. My uh, number three is the HBO series uh, about some mobsters from New Jersey. It is The Sopranos. Ooh, what a pick. Nice. That's so good. Great theme song. <laughs> Excellent spoiler theme song. Spoiler yeah. alert, it's a great theme We're song. We're going to talk about theme songs tonight, and that one's a doozy. It's a good one. It's a great one. Was it one of those that you watched as it was airing at the time? That went, yes. Uh, or yes. did you discover that? It was like after? the first show I remember outside of like the X-Files that I really remember being obsessed with. And like my parents had HBO. Um, and then when I was like in college and stuff, I literally would come over to their house to watch The Sopranos as it was happening. Because back in the day, if you miss an episode, you didn't know when it was going to come back on. So you're kind of at the mercy of HBO. So I had to watch it live just to make sure, you know, I didn't miss it. That's cool. All right. My number three. Weird times when you had to watch TV shows as they were happening. Yeah. Well, so that that speaks um, to my number three pick. It's it's one that I discovered early on. And I don't think I caught it as uh, all the episodes aired. It was one of those that was always on this particular station. And anytime it was on, I watched it. And it ran from 1982 to 1984, only had two seasons. And there were six episodes per season. And it is one of the funniest shows that uh, to me st just still makes me laugh. And it's none other than the young ones. So I caught that thing on MTV over and over and over again when MTV was mostly playing music, but it had Rick, Adrian, Nigel, Christopher. To me, it was just punk rock TV. Um, and if you haven't seen it and you want a taste of British comedy, early 80s that just didn't play by any of the rules, Bambi is probably my favorite episode from there. And that's all I'm going to say. You, you just have to go seek it out. It's still funny today, but it's also not politically correct either by any standards. But again, Rick Maul, who you might know from, I think he did a film with Phoebe Cates about an imaginary friend 
Drop Dead Fred. Fred JS, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So this was the TV show that I know him from, and it is absolutely hilarious. So, that, so that's I've known you for a long time, and this is the first time I've ever heard you talk about this with such uh, love. So, it's, yeah. I'm learning so much. <laughs> have you not seen The Young Ones? No, I have. I just absolutely I'm, love it. I'm kind it's of taken so aback by it right now it, it was always this one and monty python's flying circus that i remember watching uh in high school or just growing up and laughing a lot but this one when it when they released it on dvd and even seeing it in the later years it it had just so much fun to it and again i, I just liked these 12 episodes because they just broke all the rules for for tv sitcom at the time had a lot of fun with it so, John, that brings us to your number two. So you dropped us with Firefly. So I'm, I'm glad we brought you on tonight's show for, <laughs> to talk about that. But what's your number two, man? My number two is um, the remake of the, what was it, late 70s campy, but it's now awesome, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, see, I, I know the original. I've yeah. never seen the new one. You should do yourself a favor. Um, watch the new one. It is, it was phenomenal. It was one of those that I didn't think I would enjoy because I am a fan of the, of the original series. Uh, but this one totally blew me away. Really? Now, it, it had a couple of spinoff shows, or did it have one spinoff show? Uh, Caprica was the spinoff, didn't do so hot. A couple movies. Um, okay. But the, but the core Battlestar. Uh, Galactica remake was just you know awesome awesome and bonus um, you really should watch it and if you watch it pay attention during the pilot and tell me which spaceship makes a guest appearance oh is so I got to pay attention yeah uh, count, right. count me out <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Brad won't make it all right Brad you're number two uh my number two is a AMC show that was kind of like, I think the first show to kind of take Twitter by storm. It was uh, breaking bad. Oh. Um, I came on to that show, I think maybe season two or three. I, I definitely wasn't on board like right at the beginning. Um, I know it, it basically lived on Netflix streaming for, I think it was like the first show that I was like obsessed with on Netflix. Um, so I watched those first, three seasons, probably a hundred times. I mean, I just rewatching and rewatching. Um, and it, it actually gets better after that. So I, I love that show so much. That is something I've never seen. I want to, it's on the, I know, cause every, when I, you're making this O face, I know because yeah. when everybody talks about breaking bad and I, and I've never seen it, I get that same reaction. I know I'm just a horrible human being. I will get around to it. The problem with television is it's, it's a big commitment. I'm not like my wife who will power through an entire like two seasons in a day. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> I, I like to watch an episode and that, that one I feel like is, is going to be a commitment. I'll get there. Yeah. It, I mean, some of the subject matter is a little bit rough too. So sometimes you have to take a little bit of a break. So, you know, there, there's some things that happen when you're talking about drug dealing. Oh, okay. Well, my number two, I think it's funny, John, that Firefly is your number three. Because my number two show also plays into today's discussion. This is one that I, it's also my wife's favorite. We watched it every night when it came on, loved it. It was one that it took me a long time to find 
the box set because there were four seasons. It's never been released over here. And I had to find an Austra uh, Australian version. And I think the reason why it's not been released over here is because some music rights with the theme song. But this was one of the shows that I watched religiously when it came out from 1998 to 2001. I believe it was on ABC and it was right around the time of the Drew Carey show. But it's two guys, a girl in a pizza place. I absolutely love that show. Ryan Reynolds and none other, none other than Nathan Fillion is Johnny. Yep. And that's when I discovered Nathan Fillion and just totally fell in love with that character of Johnny. And it's, again, it's your typical zany sitcom comedy, but it's a, I, I don't know, it's the combination of all the characters and everything that they brought to the small screen just made me laugh all the time. So my, my number three and two are, are straight up comedies. I don't know if you guys ever watched that show when it was on. I did a couple. It, it really showed like what Ryan Reynolds could do yep. from an acting standpoint, especially. And if you go back and look at it now, you can't think of anybody to play Deadpool except Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> especially when you look at that series. But I, I got to say the standout for me was always Nathan Fillion. And, uh, you know, he came in towards um, the middle of the series and uh, just, just stayed on his regular character. He's fantastic. All right, John, I'm curious. So you did Firefly, you did the new Battlestar Galactica. What is your favorite TV show, live action of all time? Um, live action of all time. It, it's, it, it's one that I actually still watch continuously from time to time because of the sheer brilliance in the writing and the delivery and how it can relate to current events and some of the parallels that are drawn in a lot of those episodes just is just scary um the series that i'm talking about is rod serling's the twilight zone Ooh, good pick really good so wow. do you do the twilight zone marathons when they show on tv yes i do those um i i, I binge watch them throughout the week while i'm working um it's just one of those shows that, again, not only were they brilliant for their time, but again, if you if you stop and analyze a lot of the stories and the moral uh, uh, dilemmas they present, and you try to apply them to real world today's events, you, you, you're kind of like, holy crap, this is really scary. Twilight Zone is so good. Yeah, it, it's instantly rewatchable. And as many episodes that I, well, let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, I forget the name. It's, it's the favorite episode is, and again, this is how it can apply to real world. Um, the episode where um, the town like loses power and all of a sudden the neighbors are accusing each other of plotting against each other. And it you know, ends up with someone killing their, one of their neighbors. And you come to find out it, it's, aliens who were running an experiment which was introduce a little chaos and you'll see the end result that we do the return to their baser instincts which is tribalism right well it's, it's a good pick man brad you're number one I, he picked twilight zone i don't know how you're gonna trump that um uh, mine is an adaptation of a song of fire and ice um it is game of thrones i know i know <laughs> Season eight is not perfect. I know. I know. I actually will defend it somewhat. There are some good episodes in that season. Uh, but everything else leading up to that, I, you know, like most people, Sunday nights was Game of Thrones nights for eight years. So, you know, it, it just, 
I can't. I can't. I think that show is, again, season eight. I understand, but everything else is <laughs> almost perfect. So, and you find it rewatchable? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, my wife and I were just discussing tonight about like going through the series again. So, okay. Yep. Well, those are great number one picks. They're both wrong. They are not the greatest <laughs> show ever made. And I, I got to say, I've championed this show from day one, watched it religiously, was made fun of by my wife until she sat down and watched it. And then she ultimately, this became her favorite show of all time, to the point that when we were naming our kids, we were trying to figure out how to incorporate some characters' names from the show into uh, our, our kids' names. But the greatest show ever made occurred from 1997 to 2003. It had seven episodes. It actually created another spinoff series. I mean, seven seasons. Seven seasons, sorry. Yes, seven seasons. Um, it had a, had a spinoff show that was equally as good, not as good as the original, but we watched that one um, very uh, just a lot as well. The rewatchability of it is phenomenal. It's, um, it, it's none other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That show for me, and it's specifically season two, I don't think there's a better season of TV out there than season two of Buffy. It's so good, but that's, that's my all time favorite. Who, uh, who did Buffy there, Troy? Well, it happens <laughs> to be the guy that we're talking about tonight, Joss Whedon, which again, makes me so excited about tonight's episode, but I got to tell you, Joss Whedon has, has always been one of my favorite writers. We'll talk about his directing, but I've, I've always felt Joss Whedon is, is just one of the best screenwriters out there. And for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it, it's interesting when we get and talk about Joss Whedon's history. He directed 28 episodes and wrote 25 episodes, but really that show has about 144 episodes. Mm -hmm. So he only directed and um, wrote a small fraction of them. But those and, are considered the best. Yes, they are. I mean, he, he was nominated for an Emmy um for hush i think is what it is and we just got mm -hmm. done talking john you were on for i think new mutants yeah. and buffy the vampire slayer is is playing in the background and and that's where joss created the gentleman uh which is a fantastic episode but that that is such a great series and it really highlights i think joss's talent for ensemble script writing and just what he brings to um I don't know, just creating a universe that you really want to learn all about. So that's my number one. Not bad. Wow. We had like distinctly different lists. Like they were all completely different. So I was curious. I almost picked, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite current television series is The Mandalorian. But I yes. felt like I couldn't pick that because it's not done yet. Yeah, that no. I was going to pick Ozark as well. Ozark's one of my favorite shows. That's a good one. That's and a real I good one. I can't because it's it's still going. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they could like screw up the landing so bad that of course I picked game of Thrones, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, so tonight we're talking about 2005 serenity. There's a ton of history behind this. And I know there are a lot of people who happen to love the television show and this specific film, but Brad, you wanted to talk about this one this one it came out was a box office bomb in terms of you know budget what they spent yeah. on marketing etc and before we talk about the history of the television show i mean let, let's talk about the film itself we know the film was a result of a canceled tv show 
But when this thing came out, the challenge was how do you bring people to this story who had never seen the TV show because you, you can't spend, you know, a couple million dollars or they spent a lot of million dollars. Yeah, they spent a lot of million dollars on this. <laughs> so they, they had to make sure that they brought new viewers in. So I'm really curious, how did this um, do in the box office? And then more specifically, what did the critics think? Yeah, so my first criticism of this movie is they spent $39 million on it, which I think for a failed TV show, you're going to go ahead and spend $40 million on a failed TV show conclusion movie. That's insane to me. Like when I, that stood out to me so much that I'm like, no, you can't, like I would have given them $20 million and say, make it work. Um, Cause they only recouped $40.4 million. So it literally broke even, but of course they, you know, have to spend a bunch of money on marketing. Um, so yeah, um, I will say though, it is quite popular with the critics. Um, 187 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes with a, with a approval rating of 82% and an audience score of 91%. So holy cow. Yeah. Uh, guess what? The audience for Firefly loves Serenity, you know, over 300,000 reviews too. So uh, <laughs> that's interesting because, well, I, I, I guess mean, it would if, make sense. You have the same cast, the same writer, director that brought the show to life. Yeah. If all of those people would have actually watched the TV show while it was on, the TV show probably would have lasted more than one season. So um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will say domestically, so total is 40, domestically makes 25, um, internationally only makes like 14, almost 15 million. So not a huge hit overseas. Um, when I was looking at the uh, weekly, I always kind of like to look and see what a, what a film does first weekend and then second weekend. Sure. Um, so open second to film called Flight Plan. We'll get into what it released against, but Flight Plan beats it. <clears throat> It's initial opening weekend with it gets like $10 million second weekend, $5 million. So it has a 50% drop. So, which is kind that's of respectable. Cool, I mean, that's, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the week after that's another 50% and then literally it's 60, 50, 50, 50. So, you know, it, it, it loses steam pretty quickly. Um, it releases up against Troy. Do you remember anything that comes out in September of 2005? Because it is stacked. I don't remember anything that came out in the beginning of 2021, and we're not even a full month into it. So you're going to have to <laughs> drop some knowledge on me, man. Yeah, so we have uh, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which oh, I actually think is that pretty good. That is an good. amazing film, yep. actually, yes. Um, another amazing film, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, Shane Black, there you go, yep. man. Yes, uh, Proof um jake joan hall um is it gwen gwyneth paltrow gwyneth paltrow yep okay uh green street hooligans never seen oh it's pretty good um the exorcism of emily rose not great this uh, one yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it interesting yep yep uh this one this one broke back mountain comes out the same month uh oh. so that was a pretty big movie um one best picture that year right yes 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 one of uh christian bale's like first movies i think was harsh times okay um, guy Ritchie film the Re uh, revolver which i think is one of the worst movies i've ever seen oh god it's um, not a good guy Ritchie film no no 
and I'm starting to think maybe most of his movies aren't very good. Um, well, hey, that's for a different episode. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton's Course Bride, which I like. Uh, Walk the Line, which was another kind of Oscar movie. Um, good Night and Good Luck was another big Oscar movie. Pride and Prejudice was another big Oscar movie. Um, Lord of War, not a big Oscar movie, but Nicolas Cage. Uh, Flight Plan, which I said beat it um, its opening weekend. Um, Roll Bounce, which was a little Bow Wow movie I saw. What? Um, yeah, you, Troy, don't worry about it. Okay, don't, <laughs> don't trust me. I'm not going to go <laughs> yeah. out there and watch that. Yeah. No, nope, we're good. Uh, Into the Blue, which was Paul Walker and Jessica uh, Alba. Alba. Yeah, oh, Jessica yeah. Alba was in that. Yes. Yep. Jessica Alba was in that film. Thanks. Yes. All right. uh, another big Oscar movie, Capote. Okay. And then The Greatest Game Ever Played. So there was no chance for this movie. Do you hear all the Oscar movies that were out that month? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like six. I, I, I oh, don't know if there was no chance. I'm, if violence. you wanted something other than Oscar bait, then this was a good pick for you. But it's funny, all those movies that you listed. I was living, I want to say, in southern Indiana at the time because I remember seeing a lot of those at the Great Escape in New Albany. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. Well, let's talk about the people who made the film and the people who were in front of the camera. So this is directed and written by Joss Whedon. So before we talk about Joss Whedon. Can we I'm talk just... about that name first? Because that's I always want to say Josh, even though I know it's not. Yeah, it's Sorry. Joss. <laughs> Joss. I, I'm just curious about your guys' initial reaction to Joss Whedon. I, I feel like he is one of those guys that has dipped into everything we like, from television to movies to comic books. So let's start with you, John. What, what's your opinion of Joss Whedon as a creator in general? As a creator in general, uh, he, he, he's one of the brilliant minds that came along in the early 2000s that really took some genres and opened them up wide open and does what I touched upon in, in a couple episodes before that a lot of people seem to miss. He, he develops stories and characters that you just absolutely are invested in. And, and you hate to see when any of those get hurt or to his credit, he kills them off. Um, but he, he's, he was just so brilliant and what he did um could, what was his other show uh with the dollhouse yep the dollhouse yep. yep yeah dollhouse it, that was what two seasons two and a half seasons something like that but it was another great series that again just he just went okay i want to do this and watching it it was it was great it was brilliant what did you think of astonishing x-men the comic run right yep the comic okay. run john astonishing x-men that's a long pause john Ooh. Uh, yeah um well do you like him as a comic book writer no oh wow okay okay no. i like astonishing x-men so that was kind of be i'm not a little surprised i watched no. the the i think it was the comic book films that they put out mm -hmm. marvel was doing those um live motion comics and i think that's how i i didn't read it but i watched those the ones were like the the panels kind of move a little bit but yeah. it's more yep. yeah it's that's fine the, uh, just read a damn comic it's not that hard <laughs> <laughs> it was it was an interesting format an experiment know, that I they know. did at the time because they i mean they did it for the watchmen they did it for a whole bunch of marvel series yeah so not a fan of of joss as a as a comic book writer is it no. because he didn't nail the the characters in the story right or you didn't think his style of writing fit 
I think his style of writing didn't fit for what I was expecting. Again, being uh, more of a hardcore canon type comic book reader and enjoying those. Um, just seeing some of the some of the segues that he would go into in quote unquote character development, um, it was okay. I, I didn't say I didn't hate it, but just just not wasn't a huge fan of it. Brad, Joss, you fan, uh, not a fan, don't care. He wrote Cabin in the Woods, so he automatically gets a pass for me because I think that movie is perfect. As a kind of parody slash horror film, it's up there. I know you like Tucker and Dale, but I mean, you put those two movies together and it's like, those are perfect. So yeah, so he automatically yeah, a gets a pass for bill me. Right there. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, I like the original um avengers i also like age of ultron um it does have its problems but you know I, I think those are good and you can see what he's doing bringing a lot of characters together and like having them interact that's kind of what he does i will say uh that justice league movie i know you know he kind of came in to save it after Zack schneider had to leave um did not appreciate that movie very much. So, and it seems like that movie will just not go away because I'm going to have to watch it again. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's fine. I, I like his, some of his writing, um, but Cabin in the Woods, you kind of get that stamp of approval from me. So. Okay. Well, before we talk about some of the things that uh, has happened to Joss Whedon outside of his filmography and career, I, I find it interesting when you go back and, and look at everything that he's done within television and film, and you first look at his uncredited works. Now, I had known this early on when I started watching Buffy, but back in 1994, he had done some additional dialogue, and he actually did a rewrite for another film. He did additional dialogue for The Getaway in 94, but he did a rewrite of Speed. Speed. Yes, and that went uncredited. He also worked in 95 on The Quick and the Dead and Waterworld. In 96, he did Twister. In 2000, he did a rewrite of X-Men and again, went uncredited. For Thor in 2011, he did the post-credit scene. He directed that, didn't write it. Captain America, First Avenger, he did a rewrite on that script. Thor Dark World did a rewrite on that script in 2013. And Captain America Winter Soldier, he did the post-credit scene for that film as well. And again, this is all of his uncredited work. Okay. So it's interesting when I go back and specifically look at something like Speed as an example. I really feel that the Joss Whedon dialogue is definitely in there. Speed is a fantastic film. But you can tell that somebody came in and really added a layer of dialogue that I think is memorable, especially in the interplay between Keanu Reeves and, and Sandra Bullock. You, Did you, you mention Twister as well? Oh yeah, Twister in 1996. <laughs> wow, what what a film, but I mean... Dude, I love that movie. Don't... It's, it, great, it's a great movie. It's a dumb movie. Yes, it is dumb. But the dialogue is a lot of fun in it. So, so that's the uncredited stuff. And then we talk about television. So... He worked on Roseanne from 89 to 90 and was a writer for four episodes. Also worked on Parenthood. So that was a film. They also turned it into a, a TV show in 1990, did three episodes there. And then his biggest breakout was from 1997 to 2003 for the greatest television show ever made, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And like I said, he directed 28 episodes, wrote 25 of them. That had a spinoff show that started in 99 that ran to 2004, and that was Angel. 
and he was director, writer, executive producer, whole nine yards on that one. For that, he ended up directing seven episodes and wrote 12 of them. So he wasn't as heavily involved in that as he was in Buffy. We then come to, I would say, the characters in the subject matter we're going to talk about tonight with Firefly from 2002 to 2003, only lasted one season. He had his hands all over that, director, writer, producer, creator. I didn't know this. He did an episode of The Office. He directed an episode. It was, uh, or two episodes, Business School and Branch Wars. He did this series you talked about, John, which was 2009 to 2010. It didn't run very long. And it was Dollhouse. He directed three episodes and wrote five. But just like Buffy, Angel, and Firefly, he was writer, director, producer, creator. Glee, he directed an episode there. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So when Marvel hit with the Avengers, Age of Ultron, he was heavily involved in that series. And Did anyone watch that show? I never saw an episode. I watched the pilot, and that's okay. about all I got past. Yeah. It tried to. And yeah, it didn't do anything for me. Okay. But it's another one. He's He's written episodes. He's a producer, director, the whole nine yards. Apparently, there's a series. I know nothing about this. It has a date of 2021, The Nevers. And he's listed as director, writer, executive producer, and creator, but he departed before the release of the first season. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with some of his recent troubles, I think. From a film perspective, he, in 1992, created the character of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and was a writer for that. He was a writer on Disney's Toy Story, and that was nominated for Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. He did Alien Resurrection. He was a screenplay for that in 97. Titan AE in 2000. He was a writer for that. Have you guys seen that animated film? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Good. So good. It's actually, the, yeah, not that bad. It looks great. Oh, yes. It's one that I cannot for the life of me understand why it doesn't have a proper release. I mean, you can find Blu-ray bootlegs and everything else, but... I don't know why that film is not out. And I think it was a 20th Century Fox uh, property. Did Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Then his first film directing gig is the movie we're talking about tonight, Serenity. He did The Avengers in 2012. He wrote and produced Cabin in the Woods, which is one of your favorites, right? Mm -hmm. In the meantime, he had a busy year in 2012. He does The Avengers. He does Cabin in the Woods. And then I think within two weeks or so, he ends up doing Much Ado About Nothing, a Shakespeare uh, film. And he's the director, writer, and producer on that. Comes back in 2015 and does Avengers Age of Ultron. And you just mentioned Justice League in 2017. So that's the last film he's worked on. He was a writer. He was the director of additional photography, uncredited, because the film title lists Zack Snyder's director but he went back and reshot um, a lot of scenes for that film. And I actually watched that today. Uh, oh, yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. I, it was one of those when I was going through- Is this a cry for help, Troy? No, I just, okay. I, I remember seeing it in the theaters and I hadn't watched it since the theaters. So I put in the 4K. I didn't have the, I don't know, negative reaction that I had in the theaters watching it, but I'm still not putting it into- it's a good movie camp. I think it's got some interesting stuff to it. You can definitely see in that film where Joss Whedon is interjecting Joss Whedon and it's not Zack Snyder. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Yeah, and so this is the film most recently he's gotten a lot of flack for 
because when yeah, he right came, Fisher, right? Yeah, he came on set, and a lot of people thought he was super unprofessional because Zack Snyder had to leave because of a death in the family. Uh, Warner Brothers was looking for somebody to come in and sort of shepherd this thing across the finish line, finish the additional reshoots. I, I mean, picking Joss Whedon, in my opinion, is probably the worst person that you would choose to follow behind Zack Snyder in terms of style and writing and everything else. Absolutely. They have two separate different styles that just don't mesh. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that's why Justice League doesn't work. But the reason why everybody called him unprofessional is as soon as he got on the set, he was trashing everything that Zack Snyder had done, was trashing some of the, the, the performances and what they were going for. And it really felt like he was trying to take over that entire property himself and just create something different than what Zack Snyder was going for. But that's not the first time he's sort of hit the public eye in a negative light. And I got to be honest with you, the, the first story that I had heard about him that always made me sort of question my fandom of Zack Snyder actually had to do with the series Angel. Josh Whedon. Joss Whedon. Yeah. Sorry. You said just Zack Snyder. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Not Zack Snyder. Joss <laughs> yeah. Whedon. Sorry. Okay. But I, I was, I was a Joss Whedon fanboy for the longest time. And even after Angel was done, but there was one story that surfaced and it really, I don't know what it was that bugged me. And it happened, it happened to probably one of my favorite characters of Buffy and Angel. And that's um, Cordelia played by Charisma Carpenter. So what had happened in that series was, oh, yeah she had gotten pregnant during, I want to say season four, and they had to rewrite her character uh, story arc to fit the pregnancy. But the way it goes is Joss Whedon got so upset about her deciding to have a baby that they pretty much killed her off. So she ends up getting fired for having a pregnancy and they don't bring her back for the final season. And it was a shock to Charisma Carpenter um, I, and I think it's a shock for everybody because Joss Whedon, especially if you look at his career and the characters that he created, he is championed for these very strong female characters. And he would go out there and talk about, you know, feminism and really trying to get behind those ideals. But then to turn around and do that to an actress, I think is pretty shady. But again, not knowing all the story, not knowing if it was mutual or whatnot, it doesn't sound mutual because Chris Charisma Carpenter, I think publicly publicly has come out and said it was a shock to her. And and I think everybody interpreted that as you're you're kind of fired her by writing her out of the series for just having a baby. And then um, I believe his wife, when they got divorced, all of a sudden she started spilling all these secrets about Joss Whedon. And I think he got caught up into the Me Too movement as well. Yeah. So he's yeah. had a dicey history outside of his filmography and and his directing gigs. But yeah, I, I want to say when when uh, we were talking about him getting a pass for me, that's just with the stuff he's done, not him as a human being or anything like that. I just want to be clear that I don't approve of anything that he's done to people or anything like that. So just it, it's weird. I, I got to ask you guys this question because there's so many writers, directors, everything else that I I really love their work. Can, do you have the ability to get past some of the things that they do outside of their work and just maybe go, Hey, look, man, that's human nature. That stuff's happening. It's, it's tough. It's, it's so okay. tough because you it's, don't want to sit there and give these people money. Right. Yeah. But it's also hard because hundreds of 
people do like uh, House of Cards. You know, that last season is really weird because Kevin Spacey's not in it. But you, I was kind of happy they kept doing it because there's so many people depending on that show for work. And it's not fair that one guy turns out to be a creep and then hundreds of people can't work. So I get it. Um, even like when I go back and try to watch Usual Suspects, it's like, ugh. But it's still a good movie. It's just you kind of got to put that stuff aside and just say, okay, yes, he's a horrible human being, but this movie is still good. Like you, you got to compartmentalize and some people can't do that. Um, I think time helps. Um, like a Michael Jackson song came on the radio today and I'm like, mm, but it's still a catchy ass song, but you know, it's still <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard, but, but you have to, you have to be able to do that because I mean, reasonable people up to the point where the news broke about Joss and everything about his personal life came out. Everyone was, you know, a true fan and you can still appreciate the work. Stephen King's another one. Uh, I don't care for his personal politics or his, his, his statements of such, but I appreciate him as an author. I appreciate him um, as, his, as a director and, and movie maker with like creep show and stuff like that. But well, even again, with, with Stephen King, you have the homophobia, like in it and all the stuff, there's like a lot yeah. of that weird stuff too. You have to look past, like, are you okay with that? John Hughes, are you okay with John Hughes in 19, you know, in the eighties saying the, f word to gay people and being okay with that like yeah i mean but it's it's how far down that rabbit hole do people really want to go down go down through because if if we start going to then everybody's guilty because if you liked a movie but he did this well then you're a bad person by association because you liked his work but look what he did yeah i I I can't take somebody's I, I can't look at somebody and go oh you like that film do you know what that guy did well you're a horrible person for liking that film I, I don't go that far to it yeah I do find depending on how recent things were or even what was going on behind the scenes of a particular you know particular production that might influence me one way or another I mean make no mistake the last season of angel i don't think is very good and the reason why it's not very good is because it lacks charisma carpenter now how she was um i don't know written out of that or fired whatever you want to call it that leaves a bad taste in my mouth but i still love everything about that series i still love everything about buffy joss whedon is a fantastic writer make no mistake that guy has a talent for it but wow <laughs> how... well yeah I, you know i when uma thurman kind of came out and said some stuff about quentin oh, i God, was about to yeah jump off a bridge i was like okay well this is it this is you, it for are me. you gonna go fight uma and defend your boy quentin or no not oh, at okay. all not at all <laughs> well, i mean kinda, yeah i mean because it was kind of surprising it's kind of indefensible she, yeah no <laughs> absolutely you know, she, and she, but she talked it, about it and yeah then, it, like what uh what was it the uh the car scene yeah, the and they released the footage and you're like holy crap what a douche but the thing with that is is they ended up kind of making amends and it's like okay if she's allowed to say you know, he and I are good now. It's fine. I guess it's, you know, it's not my place to still kind of hold it against them if, if she's not, and she was in the situation. Now that's not even talking about like his love for the N-word in movies either. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, you know, everybody's got it's... their thing. You know, it's like, yeah. what are you willing to look past and be okay with? Um, I'm not okay with them putting women in danger, um, but 
you know, Uma and him have seemingly kind of made up. So, you know, again, there's degrees, I think, that you can say this is okay and this is not. And I think that's a personal thing. Um, Brian Singer, I will, you know, he's another one. You're just like, Ugh. yeah, no, some of those X-Men movies are okay. You know, so. it's, it's hard to be a film fan nowadays, man. It really is. It, so. it, it is. It really is. Now, but <laughs> someone like Harvey Weinstein rotting in prison. It, you know, yeah, that's good. A, I'm yeah. totally cool. With yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Hey, I had to watch, you know, Pulp Fiction is as well. Weinstein, you know, that's, yeah. That's all we have those credits flash up. You're like, <laughs> yep. yeah, I need a shower. <laughs> yep. um, well, hey, let's, let's, Joss. I mean, we, we've got a lot of opinions on Joss. Nobody can deny he has a fantastic history of work, both from a writing perspective, uh, television, film. The other person behind the scenes I just want to mention real quick before we talk about the people in front of the camera is the director of photography, Jack Green. So one of the things, and I'm just going to say this right now, that I really liked about the film of Serenity was how it looked, how it was filmed. And Jack Green was nominated for Best Cinematography at the 1993 Academy Awards for his work as cinematographer on Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven from Unforgiven, 1992. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And if you go back and look at this guy's filmography, he has worked with Eastwood on a bunch of different films. But I just want to point that out because later on when we talk about Serenity, we'll probably talk about Jack Green and his work because I think he filmed, a, a, quite honestly, a beautiful film. Serenity looks good. It does. So let's talk about the people in front of the screen. First of all, I, I hate saying the star of Serenity because this is an ensemble piece, but the person that is front and center is none other than Nathan Fillion as Mal. I know him only from, I mean, this guy has so much work. If you go back and look at his filmography, he does a lot of voice work. He's done DC animated films. If you think about two guys and a girl, there have been two guys from that TV show who have played Green Lantern now. Yes. It has been Ryan Reynolds and Nathan <laughs> Fillion was the voice of voice Green actor, Lantern, yes. Hal, okay. Hal Jordan, one of the DC films. But I think I think most people know Nathan Fillion most recently from a TV show called Castle that ran from 2009 to 2016. He's worked with uh, James Gunn a couple of times for Super in 2010 and Slither in 2006. Slither which is a, a great yeah. film. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he was a, he yes. was a big baddie in there in 2003. And of course, my second favorite TV show of all time where I discovered Nathan Fillion was Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place. And I gotta tell you, one of my favorite video games of all time is the Uncharted series. And if you had told me <laughs> we were going to get uh, an Uncharted film, in my head, it was always Nathan Fillion. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Halo 3. You know, Halo ODST. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. no. I, I, when I look at Uncharted, I, I see nothing but Nathan Fillion running around. Um, Gina Torres is Zoe. Matrix Revolutions in 2003. Matrix Reloaded 2003 shot back to back. She was also in the TV series Angel. Um, Alan Tudyk as Wash. The only thing you need to know. He was Tucker. <laughs> he was Tucker from Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> He was also a very sassy robot in Rogue One, a Star Wars yes, story. Yes, he was. Yes. He was also Steve the Pirate. Yes, Steve the Pirate. <laughs> he worked with Joss in 2010 on the show Dollhouse. I, I think you're seeing a pattern here, right? Joss likes to work with the same people. M Marina Bakarin, I think I got that right, Bacarin. plays the character. Bakarin plays Anera. I know her only from the Deadpool movies, Deadpool 1 and 2. 
So you never saw the uh, remake of the uh, V? No, I've no, seen the yeah. original TV show, but didn't uh, see the new version. Yeah. She was the queen in the new V series. Okay. I believe she was also on a few episodes of How I Met Your Mother as well. She was. Okay. Okay. Adam Baldwin is Jane. So, oh, <laughs> yes. Brad, we talked about uh, Quentin Tarantino. Now's our time to slip in some Jackie Chan. Adam Baldwin was on the Jackie Chan Adventures as a voice actor from 2000 to 2005. He was also an angel in 2004. So Joss had worked with him before. But I got to tell you, the movie that I always remember Adam Baldwin for, he'd done a bunch of films in the 80s, but it's his first one in 1980, My Bodyguard. I watched the heck out of that thing on HBO. Have you guys seen that film? Yeah, that was Mm-mm. good. Nope. So you you got to go watch it, man. Okay. It's was so he in Full Metal Jacket? Yes, he was. Yep. Okay. He's got a really interesting filmography when you go back and look at it. I think he's one of those characters that when you when you go to IMDb or wherever you go and try and see what movies or TV they've been in, Adam Baldwin is always the one that surprised me. He's like, oh my God, he was in that? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, he was in that. Yeah. So he's, yeah, one he, of my favorites was uh, DC Cab. Yes. That was another early 80s. Yes. With, with Mr. T. Mr. T. Yes. Jewel State as Kaylee. Don't know much about her. She's done a lot of TV shows and series. Sean Mayer as Simon. Again, not too familiar with him. And even when I go through his filmography, nothing really pops out. Hey, guess what? He doesn't really pop out in the movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Summer Glau as River. Now, I know some people may know her from the Terminator television series they did. What was it called? The Sarah Connor Chronicles? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Ron Glass as Shepard oh. Book. I remember Ron from the Barney Miller series, 75 yes. to 82. Talk about a veteran actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. And then for the film, not the TV series, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, so I apologize in advance. You want to take a stab at this, Brad? No. Okay. You're talking about the Mr. Universe? No, the operative. Chuetel Ejiofor? Chuetel Ejiofor. Okay. Chuetel. Yep. Chuetel. Okay. So I, a lot of people will recognize him from Doctor Strange in 2016. I bet you a ton of people will remember his performance in 12 Years a Slave in 2013. I specifically think one of his best films he did was 2008's Red Belt. Such a great (laughs) underrated film. So it's funny. um, I was uh, it iced here today and Sunday. I usually run for, you know, I go out and run, but I couldn't. So I had to do it on our treadmill and I had not seen the old guard yet. And I turned on the old guard and there's Joelle G4 on there. And I'm like, Oh, Great. I'm get to talk about him twice today. So cool. kind of cool. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the old guard yet. So I know John, it's, it's one of your, your best from last year. Right? I like it. Oh yeah. I like it. Okay. Yeah. So we've got to talk about Firefly before we talk about Serenity. So Firefly ran from 2002 to 2003, one season, 14 episodes, 11. Not, <laughs> well, not all of the episodes <laughs> ran. So 11 aired three didn't, is that correct, correct John? Yep. So do you want to take us from here, John? Give us some history on Firefly. Well, can, yeah, I, have so, a, can, I, can I ask a question first before we we dive into it? Absolutely, man. Why would you not show three produced TV episodes? You've already spent the money, right? I was hoping John would address that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Continue, John. I'm sorry. Yeah. So to answer Brad's question real quick, uh, Fox. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Just so executives for, for, for yes. context too right this is one of those shows that they were trying to make a thing after the x-files was over correct yeah yeah okay 
they basically log into that so yeah it's it's a show i think in if i remember right 2001 joss whedon was like you know what i want to i got this idea for a sci-fi western but it's 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 more character driven than scenery driven and so he pitched it um and some of the fox executives back then they they loved the idea and they told him hey just deliver a script and we'll take a look at it and um some troubles <laughs> with the script that he delivered uh if i remember right the, the initial one they called it the train job but he actually had the serenity pilot written and then there was a debate back and forth about well you know to truly understand how this series is going to evolve over the season you have to air this two-hour pilot um but fox was really really balking at that because you know time was precious and lo and behold they decided you know what you're gonna get friday night i think it was eight o'clock eight o'clock nine o'clock i can't remember but they started with the train job which in chronological order is is episode number two so a culmination of executive decisions kind of doomed it from the start the advertisement i think we talked about this several times before some other movies the marketing if you go back and look at some of the original ads for this to come out on fox tv you were that what what they advertised was not what you were going to get i mean they were they were did you know the song that they used to market this thing when they were showing it Uh, wasn't it the what's it smash mouth smash mouth songs walking on the sun yeah what yeah are you serious (laughs) yes yeah it was it was mixed in there so there was again a lot of might as well be walking yeah it it was (laughs) if you go back and see it it really i think they're trying to play it up as a comedy yeah that might be the worst decision i've ever heard yeah of all time because it was it it had elements of comedy but again it was a more character driven show and when it it ran its course. I mean, let's put it this way. Whedon believed in this series so much. He actually held a dinner for the entire cast. One, to have everyone meet each other. And number two, have them start bonding as if they were the crew on Serenity. Well, it's also and, better to be little people when they're all together. So and that's true too. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was before they started. <laughs> true true Um, but yeah they threw it up on a friday night and i do remember this because remember 2002 i mean unless you were one of those rich people that had the original tivo don't know if you guys remember those oh yeah um it was it was only tv guide that's the only way you knew what shows were coming on certain nights so like i said you had to prep up and get ready and some Friday nights, there's Firefly. Other nights, uh, it's news because in 2002, remember, this is almost uh, almost a full year after 9-11. So a lot of preemptions, um, a lot of shifting around of schedules because of what was going on in the world. And I think sports. Baseball. Baseball was baseball. another one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was kind of like <sighs> shot in the leg before they even got out of the gate. So I'm looking at the the uh, episode releases. Uh, Serenity, which is listed as the first episode, has a December 20th, 2002 release. The Train Job, which is listed as the second episode, is September 20th of 20. So they Eight did not episodes only in. 
Eight episodes yeah. in to go back and do the pilot. Do the pilot. That's well. The pilot was actually the eleventh show, the final show they actually aired. So you got the pilot at the end of everything, which That's made crazy. no sense. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't because when you watch the episode, you actually get a pretty good foundation of where this story, where these characters are going to go in the series. But yeah, it, I don't think was... like a series is terrible for like going back and doing some flashbacks and maybe a few things out of order but when you're when your oh, wow, series you're... is based about like characters yeah then that's yeah that's, that's a poor choice that's yeah, crazy yeah. I just, you're right i just recognize that because the air date for objects in space which is the final episode was 12 1302 and serenity part one and two air date was 1220 so they went back and i guess just did the episodes starting with two and end the series with the pilot that that is so weird yeah, and it was a shame because, again, um, the greatest thing about Firefly was back then, again, you didn't have TiVo. We didn't have a, a, a lot of people on the Internet. I mean, it was basically the old BBB boards, um, it was word of mouth, passing around. The DVD set, when it was finally released, if I remember right, the first printing of the DVDs, they sold out. Sold out, yep. Sold out. I mean, people were passing along copies, and the fan base just grew and grew and grew and grew and it is because of the fan base and i'm sure we'll touch about this later on it, it's because of the fan that it endures today yeah I, I read some stuff that there was a lot of back and forth again between joss and the fox executives fox refused to pick up the show initially i and here are some things that i found out because they didn't like the fact that the characters wash and zoe were married they had a big problem with that Thus why is that in. why is that well they say it ruined any chance for romance between zoe and mal okay because they thought you know those two characters would eventually hook what up. what was the real reason well we we know because yeah. interracial marriage is probably not coolest Wash is white yeah. yeah she's black the other thing that i also read was that network constantly asked for the show to be less dark because to your point john it really was a dramatic I don't know, space Western with bits of comedy throughout. Yeah. So they wanted it to be less dark, but they also wanted Mal to shoot more people, which is kind of funny to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, they didn't, they didn't know their hands from their ass is what it came down to. I mean, they actually had a genius idea and if they stopped to really understand what his vision was, um, I don't know. History might be different. Yeah, and his vision was for seven seasons, if I remember correctly. Uh, seven, yes. So he yeah. really had a roadmap for this thing. And once it was canceled or running up to its cancellation, because I think everybody kind of saw the writing on the wall, Friday's a horrible night to, to air anything. Oh, back then? Yeah. Yeah. So prior well, to its TGIF cancellation. Would beg to differ. Okay, TGIF <laughs> would beg to differ. But prior to its cancellation, there was a fan base called the Firefly Immediate Assistance Campaign, where they did a big mailing campaign with postcards to the postcards, network letter. to support it. They were hoping UPN would pick up a second season, but it, it went nowhere. So yeah, I mean, not only were the fans trying to keep it alive, Joss himself he he was nonstop trying to shop the show around, trying to keep it alive, trying to find somebody, anybody to to pick it up, to keep it going because he believed in it so much. And the, and the fan base that was just behind it all, I mean, they, they, they raised so much money. They gave money to charities that, you know, not many people would do. I mean, these are all strangers. I mean, they were the kind of the, the original GoFundMe crowd. 
Yeah, you know? that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, I, they they took out a full page ad in uh, I think it was the New York Times or something or Los Angeles Times, you know, talking about help us keep Firefly alive, and that's that's the result of people who fell in love with the show, not so much because of the show, but because of the characters in the show. So what Joss was trying to do, he delivered. Hmm. Okay, that's an interesting backstory. So I'm curious now. All also, of us. Also, oh, go ahead. just yeah. The I did see somewhere where they an astronaut actually took up a copy of Serenity and Firefly. To, oh yes, um, uh, the International Space Station. So, Steve, Steve, Swanson. Steve Swanson, Steven Swanson. Yeah, yeah. Took up uh, DVDs of Firefly and Serenity. So they've actually been in space. Oh, They're still okay. in space. Still oh, okay. in space. They're in the library in space. In space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm curious. So. John, this is your number three favorite show of all time. Yep. Brad, had you watched this series before? I had not. This week? Okay, had so this is the first time. This is my second go around. I had I own the original box set. Yep. Because again, being a Joss Whedon fanboy, watched it a couple of times. This week I got through the first seven episodes and then the last one, Objects in Space, before watching <laughs> the uh the movie. But I, we already know how you feel, John, but I'm going to let you kind of go on a little bit. Let's talk Firefly before we talk about Serenity. What is so good about this show to you that puts it on your number three spot of best TV shows of all time? It, it, it's the characters. I mean, here you have, we've, we've seen the show, science, fiction, westerns, you know, we've, we've seen those stories done over and over and over again, but what it always comes down to is why do we love it? The characters. I mean, Mal, Jane, Anara, uh, Wash. I mean, <clears throat> some of the lines. I, I mean, <laughs> what was one of his lines? He said, what you're talking about? It's like, it, it's science fiction. Honey, you're in space. <clears throat> I mean, you get you the know, Joss Whedon writing in here. Yeah, definitely. you know, it, it's, it's the characters. And you can see... A little bit if, if you examine each of the characters on the crew you can see a little bit of yourself in each and every one of those characters and it's not so much the story driven by the viewpoint of one it's actually the viewpoints of all of them that's driving the story and each one of them have a different perspective and a different take and a different approach that it it was really interesting to see and as you went along for the ride for me, I couldn't help it. We we loved, we fell in love with the characters. My wife fell in love with the characters. Okay. Brad, Firefly. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it? Did you did you watch I tried. all of No, I tried. How far did you get? Not very. What, what do you mean yeah, not very? So, you know, we'll just. How, I'm, how many episodes is not very, Brad? Like halfway to the first one. Whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, I no. Oh. So my, my perspective you is you didn't even finish the first episode. Here's my perspective on because I knew I knew you I know you and I know John. So I was like, someone has to watch the film as someone can we recommend this oh, movie okay. as someone who just sees the movie has no sort of knowledge on the series. So that's what I'm playing tonight is can you enjoy this movie without knowing anything about Firefly? When did you make that choice? Did you why did you make that choice during the first episode because i saw the first episode was, 
<laughs> no, no, no. Look, see, I'm calling, I'm calling bullshit on that because if you were like, hey, I'm going to watch this film as going into it as a viewer who had never seen the television show, you would have never popped the first episode in. Why did you turn it off in the middle of the first episode? Because I, I was under the impression that it was eight episodes, which it wasn't. And then I saw that the first episode was like almost an hour and a half. And I was like, no, sir. And the rest of them were like 45 minutes. I'm like, I ain't got time for this. So yeah. So I was like, well then, and then I'm like, okay, why don't I just cut my losses and just be the guy who has a different perspective than John who loves it. And you, who I know is going to do a ton of work. So I'm like, I'll be the lazy guy and just say, can a normal human being come into this two hour movie and enjoy it without knowing anything about Firefly. Okay. All right. Okay. Did um, I convince you that I, no, yeah. you didn't, but that's okay. right. <laughs> so I've, this is my dog my, ate my homework. Your dog ate your homework. Okay. I believe that one. Okay. This is the third time I've gone through it and I will go back and finish it. Cause I only have, you know, four more to, to do. So watch the first, well, do I have four or do I have three? I don't know. I watched the first seven plus the last one. I've got to say right out of the gate. And I, I remember thinking this the first time I ever saw it, because I never saw this when it aired. I only came to it afterwards. But the theme song of this show oh my God. is absolutely the worst, the worst theme song of any television show I have ever seen. It is called The Ballad of Serenity. Josh Whedon wrote the lyrics to this country jamboree slow methodical piece of crap it's performed by sunny road some blues player uh, it is crap it is it, every time i have oh. to hear that stupid theme song it drove me nuts to the and john point, and i got a text message about it every time yes you got I a lot too. of text messages <laughs> I, i'm just telling you you hear that thing and it grates on you so bad it took me a few minutes to get back into the episode because I was just so pissed that I had to hear that thing. And of course, I have somebody standing in the background going, you know, you can fast forward through that. But you know what? It's part of the show. I'm going to watch it. But oh, my God, it is just terrible. It is absolutely terrible. Agreed. Glad you on your head. No, it's terrible. yes. It, John, it's worse do, than you say. Oh, God, it's horrible. It, do, do not go out and try and listen to it if you've never watched the television show because I'm telling you you will just hate life but john please defend this piece of crap theme song of your number three favorite show of all time well back then yeah you can't you... see right there yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take the sky from me Troy. Uh, well i i'm yeah. gonna do it <laughs> that that theme song is not shiny at all no uh, back then it, it it wasn't meant really to be a song song uh, more about an introspective to the character, the captain, Mal Malcolm Reynolds. Nope, no, nope, it's not. I yeah. think it was like a, if you really wanted to get the mass to just dislike country music or dislike blues or something like that, that's why they created it. <laughs> Harsh. It's horrible. So here's my other problem that I've always had with the show. Why does everybody interject Chinese language into sentences why the Asian influence throughout this whole thing, it serves no purpose. Plus, this really pisses me off too. There's no Asians on the show. So you have Chinese language, all this Chinese backdrop, set, whatever it is, not a single Asian in the film. And it feels like an episode of Kung Fu in space, but there's, there's no, there, 
why? Just why? I read somewhere that it was done as a way that they could get past the censors to kind of throw a couple swear words here and there. But from a story perspective, from a world building perspective, it feels so freakishly odd. Someone saw Blade Runner. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think they did. Yes. <laughs> even Blade Runner had some Asian folks in front of the camera. Is that is this technically cultural appropriation in this context? No, no, it's, it's not. Just, okay, no, it's just it's the, just bad storytelling. No, it's just from the universal standpoint of what what could be a universal language that everybody understands, poor or rich. And back then, the decision was made that it'll be Chinese. I mean, what, what, if you make that decision, wouldn't you have some Chinese in space then? Well. You, you probably did, and we never saw them because those were the ones in the Alliance curveball right there. What? Never mind. I mean, no. To be fair, it was a seven. It was planned to be seven seasons, and they got basically one. So maybe the maybe Chinese the, were coming in episode yeah, season two, season three. two. Big twist. Oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> let me let me get some other grievances out here. So, is Nathan Fillion supposed to be like the soldier from the South? You know, the whole brown coat thing. There's some big intergalactical civil war and he's on the losing side of it. And now he's a space pirate. So I, I think that's the whole premise of it because he's called a brown coat. And in one of the episodes, they have this big bar fights towards the beginning and they get kicked out of the bar and they're on the edge of a cliff. And Nathan Fillion makes this callback to a, to a typical Southern saying, which is we shall rise up again or something like that, which really, I just, really seriously you're, you're gonna you're gonna associate your character with a southern civil war mystique or a backdrop to it I, that doesn't work i'm sorry not at all take that john <laughs> i mean hey take it as you will i mean i'll, I'll put like, it this way he's like john on the episode dude <laughs> Eating all over his favorite show. I'm just, sorry. No. These were the things that bugged the crap out of me. That's fine. Here's the funny thing, right? Guess who the best shooters in our military are? Southern boys. So don't be talking no trash about us. I, I'm not talking <laughs> trash about the Southern boys. I'm, all, all Mel needed to do was slap a Confederate flag on Serenity, and and that's all he was missing at that well, point. Yeah, I mean, truck, if, some truck nuts on the back. Sorry, of the a yeah, Chinese right. Confederate <laughs> flag, if that Chinese. exists. <laughs> So here's here's the other thing that bugs the crap out of me. Uh, if Serenity Sean, is a rockin', don't come a knockin'. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Mayer and Summer Glau are, are hands down the worst thing about the the television series. Their acting is terrible. The show is actually really good when they're not in it. They add nothing whatsoever in terms of tension character dynamic and what's funny is everybody else for me within the serenity crew is actually a lot of fun to listen to to watch them interact even the stuff that they do with ron glass and shepherd and the exchange that he has with mal I, I find extremely interesting but the tension that should be there between mal and the doctor it just doesn't exist and summer glow her performance is just irritating because I, I know they're trying to go for something that is a damaged person that might be 
I, I don't know, autistic or have, you know, special gifts or whatever it is and is, and is struggling uh, to find out, you know, what happened to her when she was with the Alliance. But I got to tell you, she's, she's god awful in this thing, my opinion. But uh, I, I don't know how you feel. Brad, are, are you? No, Simon, like if you would have told me I, the guy who played Simon was actually a actually, robot. I don't know why I'm asking. You didn't even watch um, the stupid. So you shut up. <laughs> Sorry, John. Go ahead. No, I mean, you can pick up a valid point. Again, understanding if this ran, it's full seven seasons. It didn't. You know, we had a core crew um, and and uh, River and Simon Tam come along. And yeah, they're a little irritants but they fill a void which is okay where do we go from here i mean after the final episode object in space it kind of leads a bridge to what we could possibly expect for the second season we never got it of course but you know i don't think it's quite fair because yes the initial episodes revolve around the core crew we haven't really gotten to simon river yet which is where Serenity, I think, does a really good job kind of, without getting too far ahead, taking what was possible and delivering it. Yeah, but man, you got you to gotta come out swinging in that first. You can't bank on getting season two, three, four, you know, even up to seven. I think you got to come out swinging in that first season and you have to get some interesting characters that you are going to be vested in. And I think they do that for the most part, except for those two, which are supposed to be pivotal plot points. Them having them on board and being chased by the Alliance is one of the key central story arcs throughout the entire series. And they are the most interesting, most uninteresting and dull aspects of the show whatsoever. And I got to tell you, still to this day, my two favorite episodes is The Train Job and are Mrs. Reynolds. And I think they have the least of those two characters and they, and they really work. Well, to be fair, isn't always the rich people in a, like, I don't know. They're like the top caliber people or whatever they call them in the show. There's all, those are always the most uninteresting characters in, in, yeah. in movies and shows and stuff. They're the no, most punchable. No, no, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, no, excuses. that's not a pat. No. Cause he great. Then well, be, so, then act. I, act uninteresting talk about coming out swinging let's talk about that so for example um another famous show that was canceled by fox family guy right oh yeah yeah so family guy comes back three years later why fans love the show and guess what the very first episode that aired when it returned back to air was a complete rag on fox and the 29 shows that they canceled up to that point and one of the shows definitely mentioned firefly so yeah you can come out swinging yeah even though you do that you still get canceled yeah i don't think they came out swinging on this though i know joss whedon was saying that of all the shows that he worked on this is the one that was most perfectly baked he had he had a solid start it wasn't one of those. He considers Buffy and Angel things that kind of grew into themselves. And Firefly was the thing that he really thought he was starting on sure footing. And I would say that he got about 60% of it right. The other 40%, I don't think worked. That Chinese thing really bugs me because from a world building perspective or universe building perspective, 
you would have these idiosyncrasies or, or nuances within there, but they feel natural and they fit because of the environment that they're in. You can't put Chinese language and Chinese everything within your series and not have a Chinese person in there within the entire galaxy. That is just the stupidest thing you can do. It, it's dumb. It's dumb writing, <laughs> dumb storytelling, and it, it makes no sense. And I find it aggravating. Now, that, that's all the bad stuff. I'll say the things that are good for me on this. The special effects are really good for this time period. I, I would say even for today, for a science fiction film, Adam Baldwin steals every scene he's in. He's the best thing outside of Nathan Fillion in this show. But, um, you know, none of the antagonists. So as you go through the series and you meet the people that they go up against, None of the antagonists are very memorable. Actually, none of the episodes are really that memorable because even when I was watching it again, it oh. was it was like, oh yeah, I remember that happening. And oh yeah, that that's kind of cool. And there's some good dialogue and you get Joss Whedon creating good ensemble work as long as Sean and Summer aren't in it. It's really good. And I like the fact that they do something different when they're in space, there's no sound. So that's new and unique and it totally makes sense and they stick to it. But for me, the executives got it right. You watch one season of this, it should have been canceled. It should have never had a season two, three or four. I, I haven't seen Dollhouse and I haven't seen anything else, but I'll say this, Firefly, that TV series of Joss Whedon's work, I think is his least competent work. I love it. Yeah. Well, oh, you're completely wrong. <laughs> I, hey, I, this is coming again, from a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I can be totally wrong about this. But again, I, I said this, I think, on the last episode that with every movie, there's always something or TV show, there's always something that's going to be wrong with it. So your ability to kind of look over that is always dependent on what you latch on to in terms of all the other good stuff or all the things you, you gravitate to. So I can right. totally get behind an imperfect screenplay, an imperfect performance or imperfect special effects if I like everything else that's going on. So you kind of forgive those things. For me, Firefly, and it's one of those that I remember liking it the first time I saw it. Then the second time I watched the series, I'm like, it, it's, it's good. My third time going through it, I'm like, okay, I'm really not seeing the shiny on this thing. It, it's getting more and more dull the more I look at it. And I'm noticing that the series as a whole is quite boring. And that's where I think, again, because you didn't watch it when it was happening. You, you caught it afterwards. <clears throat> you didn't have that experience of sitting around waiting Friday nights to watch it. I think that's what's lost in the translation because I think a lot of times we're so spoiled with the instant access that we're we're allowed those opportunities for example we can go back and watch buck rogers and we can really say okay i love the series when it was coming out and i watched it as a kid now yeah you see it's dated everything's going to lose its luster but for someone like me who watched it for many of the fans who watched it back then that's again one of the reasons why it lives forever why it's still going on i mean to the cultural references again i mentioned battlestar galactica again it came out way after um but in the opening series i'll, I'll give it away you'll see serenity in the opening one of the opening scenes flying please in. tell me they're not playing the theme song no no <laughs> okay it's a much it's much 
sticking to the Asian theme, you get the Taiko drums. But I mean, one of the other big shows, Big Bang Theory, they reference Firefly several times, even having Nathan Fillion and to quote from Firefly. Um, Castle, uh, and you mentioned one of his shows, he actually had free reign sometimes to improv, to do some throwbacks to the old Firefly series. Uh, even the writers were fans to the point where they actually wrote dialogue that referenced it uh, real quick, an episode, uh, it's Halloween. So the show opens, you see him dressing up. Oh, guess what? He's throwing on his Malcolm Reynolds costume. He pops out, his daughter says, what are you supposed to be? Space cowboy. The next, <laughs> the next line is, didn't you do that like five years ago? Yeah, that, that, that's you know, funny. And don't get me wrong, that I love watching Zoe and Wash. Those are that, that's a great dynamic. They're great characters. I love watching But 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 Troy. What? As one what? of the Fox executives, there, there, she would have had a problem. That is a black woman with a white man. We can't have that. Yeah, I don't on have a problem with that. I, I have a problem with the, it's a shitty show. Not a like shitty clutching show. Clutching my it's, pearls over here. <laughs> It's just a mess show. It's it's not terrible, but it's one of those where, like I said, there's about 50, 60% I really like about it, but there's too many things wrong with it that make it just a chore to get through. But the things that I do like about it are these glimpses of really Joss's characters coming through. And I think they come through best with Zoe and Wash. Uh, I really love Jane and Mal anytime they go out. That's the tension I was hoping for between the doctor and Mal, but it's really good when Jane and Mal are going at each other. The, the comedy is good when it happens and it feels authentic. One of my favorite scenes is, I think it's at the end of the train job when they have the guys tied up and he's talking to that one big alien and says, I'm giving you the money back and you tell your boss and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, we're gonna hunt you down, da, da, da. And he's like, really? Okay, kicks him right into yeah. the, the engines and the guy's dead. And then he goes to the next guy and he starts to give the speech and the guy's like, no, 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 I get it. Just give me the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's the stuff that really works for me. And again, I, I will watch this show to get to those moments, but I gotta tell you, I really think at that time period, for this show, and I, and I get it. I, I think nostalgia will come into it. I don't really think anybody is wrong for loving this series. Now, I, I'll put an asterisk there. You are wrong for liking that theme song. Oh if, if you have that theme song downloaded on your, on your phone and you listen to it, you are a sick person. But everything else, I totally get why people love this. It's a good show. I just don't understand the fandom for the TV series because I find too much stuff wrong with it. That is just in your face all the time. That Chinese thing, I can't say it enough. It's it's throughout every episode and anytime it pops up, I'm like, where are all the Chinese people? They're not there. Why, why do this? Outside of you're trying to get around of putting a couple of sentence enhancer curse words in there so that the studio execs or the censors don't catch you. That's the only reason for it. All right, let's talk about Serenity. Yes. <laughs> Now, the reason why Serenity exists, I think, is because of the, well, you said it sold out. Was it 200,000 copies of the TV series when it got released were just bought up? They're pretty expensive. And Universal, so Joss was looking for a home for this, and Universal said, hey, we'll do that because there seems to be a pretty big fan base. So, Brad, earlier you said you couldn't understand why they spent so much money on this. Well, yeah, they initially were going to spend way more money on it. Yeah, I, I really 
think it was because of the fan base. So everything John was talking about, the the letter campaigns, et cetera. But more importantly, when this sucker actually came out on DVD, it was a huge hit. And that's what drove the decision for Universal to pick it up and for them to let Joss sort of close this thing out. So I apologize, John, for going on and on about your number three TV show. No, that's fine. That was awkward. That's fine. It was You're awkward. Allowed. I'm sorry. But You're let's talk about Serenity, which, full disclosure, I freaking love this film. I hate the show. Not hate. <laughs> I, nah, I kind of hate the show. I really, really love the film. But, John, Serenity, what are your thoughts? It was, it was a great wrap-up. It was a very sad wrap-up to what could have been. Um, to, to really kind of appreciate how it came about, it was, um, what was it, 2006, a documentary called Done the Impossible. Done the Impossible? Yeah, Done the Impossible came out that tells the story of the fan-driven revival of this movie and how it came about. And what a shame that yeah we didn't have more because it would have been really great to see it would either really taken off or really flamed out and crashed but serenity truly did the story the characters um the fans justice i agree a hundred percent with you now i'm curious because brad didn't watch the tv show what did he think about the film coming into this blind without any of the context of the characters of the story? Yeah. So usually for our, say, you know, film that we're doing the week of, you know, what we're doing an episode on, you know, we have a whole week to kind of dive into it and do all this stuff. And I watched this one pretty early in the week and pretty much forgot about it immediately. Like there's really nothing that really stands out to me um besides nathan fillion um but besides that it's like pretty forgettable to 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 be to, to be honest and you know and it's not bad there's nothing bad about it um but everything is just okay okay you're wrong <laughs> thank you <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> oh my goodness um okay where do i start what a they lost the theme song thank you Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, the music is really good, I would say, in the film, because it does strike the right balance between that Western motif, but it gives an orchestral background that adds more weight to the scenes, I think, mm -hmm. for kind of a space opera or space Western. And it is a great introduction. See, this is what I was, what I was really hoping for the series would deliver, is with the whole river and doctor plot line of being chased constantly because they're them being on board you really want something throughout the show and and it doesn't have to be one person but for every episode there really needs to be a memorable antagonist and this thing kicks off with a fantastic villain and we have somebody that is sort of a worthy adversary to this crew and you in my head i'm thinking you just can't underestimate the importance of a good villain in a science fiction film and I think you've got that right out of the gate with the operative. I mean, that's what he's referred to. That mm -hmm. opening sequence of him, and you sort of get the backstory of the doctor rescuing River from that facility and what he does to everybody in that room. And you get a little bit of his sword play in there. That is so good. 
Twaddle Gia four plays the operative, by the way. Yes, yeah. he's fantastic in it. And also the introduction of the crew on Serenity. It's a fantastic tracking shot that goes through the ship. You get a little taste of what everybody's doing or what like their the single shot you is. got. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. think there is what I read about yeah, they, it. it. They did one break, but it yeah. looks like one continuous shot. It's really good. And it leads into, I think, a memorable, sorry, Brad, a memorable <laughs> action sequence with the bank heist. I don't know yeah. what you guys thought about the bank heist. Oh, it was, it was great. It's again, they, they put together a story and a show that I think could have really kept Firefly going. Forgettable Brad. Come on, man. I know. I know. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> well, to Brad's defense, he has poor memory anyway. Yeah. Yeah. College and high school. <laughs> there we go. I've been concussed before. So no, I mean, it does everything serviceably. Like everything is fine. Like I'm not saying it's a bad movie or anything like that, but I, for me, it, this is the most middle ass road movie I think I've seen in a long time. Right. And that's oh my and, goodness. And, yeah. I, I'll no. be honest. This is where I, I step back a little bit as a fan. That is where, why it suffered a little bit because if you weren't a fan or really familiar with it, it, it was kind of a hard hook to bring you in i think they they started off well um but to really to your point troy hook you and keep you uh, i think they stumbled a little bit but in the film fan yeah in the film like what what part of the film i'm curious because i i was hooked instantly well yeah but you've seen this you've seen the series so you know you know wash you know mouse i mean you know what do you mean like oh my god oh my god we're gonna die you but know. like as soon as I saw Alan Tunick, I was like really excited. I like Alan Tunick, but they kind of just make him the pilot and that's it. Yeah. And that's where, uh, what episode was it? Out of Gas in the original series really dives into his character and which was really special. And I think without having seen those and you just dive right into the movie, you, you miss a lot. I, I don't know if I miss a lot. From a film perspective... I think I get enough because it's an ensemble piece. Mm -hmm. So Joss Whedon is probably at his best when he is writing for television because he can explore his characters. But the thing I like about Joss Whedon as a writer for film is he does a very good job by just saying, okay, I've got two hours worth of film and I've got to bring these characters across within the dialogue. And I think the little, he, he let, he lets everybody breathe. He gives them enough time to show what they're going to contribute to the overall story. And I, I really like the introduction. I think it, it is smart to kind of start with, we're going to go through the spaceship. We're going to show you what everybody's doing. And then we're going to watch them come together for this bank heist. So they're fun to watch. They're fun to interact with, mm -hmm. but yet they're going to go do something that you would see a bad guy do. And then even as they're going through the bank heist, you get Summer Glau who actually is interesting in the film compared to the television series. Right. And I love the comedy that happens. I actually think this film has the best comedic writing over the television show as well. The, uh, with the bank heist, when they're standing there looking down at the vault and the guy <laughs> yells up like, what's the password? And Jane just shoots down there. And he's like, yeah, go ahead and come down. Yeah. So the, the other thing when, uh, and, and trust me, everything that Baldwin is doing in this is just fantastic. He's my yep. favorite part of the show. He also is probably my favorite part of the film. But again, another example of the good writing from a comedic standpoint 
is when they're talking about the safe word. And <laughs> Jane is like, don't use it now. And they're like, well, it doesn't work on you. And his reaction is, well, now that I know that, yeah. I love that whole sequence. This, yeah. this is a very quotable movie for the comedy more so than the TV series. But I, I, was, I was hooked. And I, I feel like for the first time, Simon and River, I, I feel like they belong with the crew now. Don't give Simon a pass, man. That guy. No, I, I think he's good the, in this. There's the actual and the actor are so bad. No, not in the film. There's actual tension now between Simon and Maul that is more pal palpable than it was in the TV series. And the mystery of River that they're trying to introduce in the series, I think they do a better job in the film. And it has a better, it just pays off towards the end of the film. Yeah. Well, you said it. He, he had a seven-year plan, but he only has two hours to do it now. So here's a little bit of free reign. Here's a little bit, hey, guys, this is what your character was going to end up doing. Go. And I think Serenity is the end result. Yeah. And I'm just going to say now, I think it makes a better film than it does a TV show. It was a great film. I forgot how much show. I love this film. I really do love it. Not yeah, like it. I love this film. Yeah, it, it's great. It's the visuals, the style, the dialogue, the characters. Again, um, are we gonna are we gonna be okay with the fact that Serenity looks like a PlayStation One video game? Like we're gonna just keep going past the fact that it looks so bad. <laughs> you really think it looks bad in the film? Oh, it looks terrible. Come on, it oh. looks so bad. You as soon as you see it floating out in space, you're like, wow. That's that's I'm a PlayStation gonna, game right there. So the special effects are not dazzling. They're not they're not eye dropping. I think they're pretty good. I don't think they're terrible. And maybe I'm giving it a pass because throughout the entire film, and I think it shows off a lot of interesting ship design more so than the television series did. So between you know the ships that are floating out in the Reaver territory, the Alliance ships, everything else, I I thought the designs were fantastic. And the special effects looked okay, but I was more interested in all the, the ship design. You do get the Blade Runner influence when they land in the spaceport. But again, you, there's some Asian people in the film. <laughs> They're in the backdrop. So I'm like, okay, now I'm okay with it because it's there. But they're not, they're not speaking Chinese throughout the entire film the way that they are. It, it's, it's more sporadic than it was within the TV series. And I think it makes more sense. It's not trying to hit you over the head with it. The only problem I kind of had with the big space battle is I like the fact in the TV show, they stuck with the sort of no sound in space. But when you get to that big space battle, all of a sudden there's a bunch of noise and rockets and explosions that are happening in space. That I, I think they lose some continuity within the special effects and the presentation. Don't you have to have that though? I You do for typical space movie watching. Yeah. Yes. But the series in John Crane. No, but it would just looks, I mean, it, we all understand there's no noise in space, but at some point in time, you have to have it just because it feels like it needs to be there. Yeah, it's the crescendo to the song. Yeah. You know, in that in that particular, I, I, not the theme song though. <laughs> no, I understand how it, it it's getting away from continuity because they get, they don't do that for the TV show, but this is, a movie which is supposed to be a little bit more grand. And I think you need that yeah, and to kind of go with the crash, you know? Yeah. And if you want to really be nerdy about it, I mean, we could study, you know, the planet and what was the atmosphere reach. And if it has an atmosphere, wouldn't sound travel. But no, I think again, it, it's a crescendo. It's a, it's a, it's a it's building up towards the, the penultimate climax that you need 
that that special effects, those missiles and the crashing and the burning and the I loved it. I'm with uh, you. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. it was fun. It was just one little thing for like a I don't know, just a beat. I was like, hey, wait a minute. There's sound. There's okay. Never mind because that that looked really cool. Yeah. So I I thought you know I'm again. I I totally understand where you're coming from, Brad, in terms of the special effects for that time period. But I think the design work and even the art style that was going into the ships and everything added to it. And and I can forgive maybe the wonky special effects in some parts. Okay. Now, now, can I ask you guys a question? Not because I don't know the TV show. Is Nathan Fillion's character that unlikable in the TV show? Oh, he's very likable. I relate to him a lot. I found him to be very unlikable in the, in the movie. Like the way he was like treating some people, especially like the guy trying to grab the onto the mule, like he shoots him and it's a lot of this my way or the highway sort of thing. And I don't know, like he's not a Han Solo character because he's not even that likable. Like, I, I don't know. I struggled with him as a, as a person because I like Nathan Fillion, but I didn't like Mal that much. That's interesting. You say that I feel like, he has a Bruce Campbell swagger to him, especially when he's coming off with the comedic elements. However, in my opinion, I think he transitions from the comedy to the drama stuff with ease. And I'm thinking about the scene when they go back to Haven and they find all that destruction. And to your point, Brad, he does turn very dark. And you get that performance where there's some rage and revenge set on his eyes. And he is just telling everybody, you're either doing this or you can just leave right now. And if you get in my way, I'm going to shoot you. So I don't think he's meant to be this totally likable character throughout the whole thing. I mean, he's a rogue. But I also think he has enough charm and charisma that I understand why everybody follows him. I think he's a complex character. Again, I go back to Whedon's writing in this film you're not going to get the, the I don't know, funny, adventurous Nathan Fillion who's cracking jokes all the time. The writing does go back from the comedy to the drama, and I think it does it with ease. And I think everybody does a great job. Even when they have a confrontation between um, Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin, that tension that goes back and forth, they it's, it's good. It's really good. And yeah. again, they... They both deliver, but I think that's a combination of good writing and good performances. So I can probably get behind where some people would just look at the film itself and go, this guy's not totally likable, but I, I think he's written that way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is where, again, being a fan of the show. Uh, so to kind of put it all together, the original pilot, um, you actually see uh, Mal and Zoe fighting the, the Alliance. And in that episode, you actually saw him, see him pull out a crucifix, say a little prayer, and and put it away, and that plays to his confrontation with Shepard all the time because he's he's not a man of faith anymore. anymore. What he when he was he was he lost all belief in all that stuff, and in the movie, you know, for those who haven't seen it, you know, sorry spoilers. Uh, when Shepard passes, he says I don't care what you believe in, just believe. And because moment, of that, man. you know, and, and because of that movement, he lost his faith. He has nothing to really believe in anymore. But at that time, seeing his friend Shepard and what the Alliance did, 
there's a new purpose. He now has a belief in what he has to do. Come hell or high water, he's going to see it through. And yeah, he does turn dark. And where he was the lovable rogue, uh, affable captain, he's now just the captain. Yeah, his way or the highway. And, and I think it's written. I I think it's written to to move back and forth in terms of that character development. And I think Nathan Fillion really pulls it off. Yeah. The other thing I mentioned um, a little bit I want to talk about is the cinematography. So the one thing I didn't really care for in the shows, and I think Joss Whedon does this quite a bit, is the the snap zoom. So (laughs) you go in, you come out of it really quick. It can be cool when it's used effectively. I think it's used effectively within this film. But I got to tell you, this movie has the look and feel of a space western like this feels authentic compared to the television show and i can totally understand why they chose jack green as director of photography because it feels like unforgiven in space oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah with a tv show you know it is you're always limited with budget and set and location um, with the movie, um, especially with the CGI, they really open up that world to, hey, this is a space Western. And you, for me, I know hundreds of thousands of other fans, that's exactly what we got. So I have a question for both of you. And this goes to the end from a spoiler perspective. With Joss Whedon characters, you have the infamous Joss Whedon is going to kill off some characters. And we do have a couple of main characters who die in this film. What was your reaction to that? And I guess my question comes down to, were those deaths earned or did they have an impact? Can I go first? Yes. I'm curious so, more about you, Brad, simply yeah. because you you never saw the TV Yeah, series. so Wash like died so fast. It like kind of took me by surprise. Like, and there was kind of no sort of, levity given to the moment like the thing comes in and it stabs him and he's dead and then they kind of move on i mean and then later on you know there there's kind of his tribute and stuff but i almost was like oh is he going to come back like i don't know it it was weird because it just happened so fast that i was more confused about what was going on and whether or not wash died and whether or not they're giving it enough levity in the movie so to me it was confusing and then like are you talking about like Shepard? Like yeah, him dying. those are the two, Shepard and Wong. Shepard, I never really even cared about because he was in the movie for 30 seconds. So I figured they show an old black man that, you know, is the wise religious guy. He has a, you know, he has a clock above his head. He's going to die. So, okay. I mean, it is like, that's the stereotype. No, you're right. It's, it's, just, of- it's a typical stereotype yes. kind of thing, right? Okay, so John, you you come at it from the angle that you really love these characters and have watched those 14 episodes over and over again. What what do you think about their exit from uh, the canon? For Shepard, it was it was kind of gut-wrenching to see, but understandable um because again, understanding him from the show that he wasn't always a shepherd as he said. Um a lot of hints in some other stories that he was himself once an operative. Um but the one that really was a con- complete nut punch was Wash. Um, sitting in the theater with my wife, um, we saw it and it happens. And like you said, Brad, it, it was a shock. It was like, what the, he- what did, 
but the story Mal is like, we got to go. I mean, there's no time to, to, you know, feel that remorse and that sadness. It's like it happened. And only after everything's done, when we see them pay tribute, that's when it really hits. And I think that was by design. It's like, yeah, there's someone's going to die, but I'm not going to let you, you know, dwell dwell on it until i'm ready for you to dwell on it because there's a there's something happening and we have to tell you what's happening make sure they shed a tear i don't know if they had time to john's point i don't know that's the one thing if i saw you die right in front of me regardless of what happens i'm shedding a tear i mean we're not even sleeping together but like (laughs) brad that but you know what i'm saying like if that happens like all of a sudden you're alive and the next minute you're dead. I'm like, oh, I might cry a little bit. Why? Well, that that gets me right here, bud. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know how I would feel if I saw. No, <laughs> I get it. I I get what you're saying. My initial reaction, I think, when I first saw it was, I felt like the deaths were unearned. That it was a bit more of a plot device to kind of keep everybody moving. But even this time around, when I looked at it. I think to your point, John, when Wash dies, they're, they're, they keep coming and you don't have a moment to kind of stop and ponder that you would in a typical film where you get that two or three beats and the dramatic yeah. music and the yeah. tears and everything else. Everybody's like, oh my God, we got to get out of here. We're going to die. Right. I do appreciate that. And I thought it was different. But my problem is as, as soon as that happens and then you get this sort of memorial service at the end, they don't do anything with it. So it, to Brad's point, I, I like how they treated it in the moment that it happens. I'm not sure I felt anything at the end of the film when you just see like his little holographic image on a tombstone. Like, I, I just feel like they glossed over that loss. But with Shepard, I do feel that it added to the story and I love Mal's reaction to it. That was so how Mal reacted to Shepard was kind of what I was hoping a little bit that there was going to be some, I don't know, emotional weight to Wash's death at some point. And I know they don't have time for the purpose of the story of it like that, but it, it just, it does, I don't feel anything from that death towards the end. So I think they handle one perfectly. And then the other one, I think they almost got it right. There's just something missing for me with Wash's death. Yeah, for for me and even my wife, she was when the memorial scene came up. <clears throat> that's when she lost it. I mean, at the first, it was the, <gasps> and then just mouth just stayed open up, you know, to the point where you know it was time for her to close her mouth. <laughs> but I think part of it too was to also show and drive home somewhat Zoe's character. Right. She served with Mal. She is a soldier, first and foremost. And uh, to her point, do the job, sir. Right. You know, and at the end, when he comes back on board, he's like, you know, everything's in the green light. You know, will she hold together? She'll fly true. And she just turns and walks. That's just her and her character. Yeah. Inside, she's probably dying, but that's Zoe. She's not going to let you know it. Yeah, but I, I feel like as an audience member, I kind of wanted to see it. I know she's not going to show it to everybody, but I wanted, I wanted to see some repercussions oh, yeah. of how it affected her. 
Well, that was a funny story when uh, Nathan Fillion said in an interview when um, he would sneak into audience uh, viewings of the movie. When that scene come back, he just slowly turned around to look just to watch everyone's reaction. He was pretty much universal to Brad's point. It was shocking. It was like, what the hell happened? And then just boom, got to keep going. And everyone at the end of everything, that's when it all, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Let Let me ask you all a question. Okay. Would it have mattered if all the characters died? Because you're yeah. never gonna see him again. Like so, like, <laughs> like. Well, it's it's. There's nothing. There's that. never gonna be anything well, after this movie. So well, let's like, talk about the climax then. I mean, what what did you think overall of the climax? Because to your point, you you've you're down two characters from from the crew, right? You're left with this core group, and they have to fight off the Reavers, and then you get the showdown between Mal and the operative. So to your point, Brad, it, it is a last stand kind of scenario. Yeah. So uh, that's a good question, but I think it also brings the other question of like, how, how'd you enjoy the climax? I mean, it was fine. I felt like, I don't know. I expected more people not to make it just because they were kept taking about how the Reavers are just so, I don't know. The Reavers were the scary entity that you never really got a good look of. And then they, when they finally come, there's like these vast numbers and they're going to, you know, tear them apart and all this stuff. And one girl gets that thing on her neck and I'm like, okay, she's probably dead. And the other guy, the doctor gets wounded and I'm like, okay, he might die. And then, you know, there's all these people who get hurt and nothing. I mean, everyone gets patched up and they're fine. And it's like, okay, I don't know. Give me some body count. Like, in these characters you're never you're never gonna like have this moment again like have some balls and 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 have some people not make it you know um that's a more fascinating for a darker version well what happens to the crew when half of them are gone and and like what happens to the serenity then you know like Mm -hmm. you know what happened to me it's like there's nothing negative that can come out of it because you're never going to see these characters again. So you might as well go big. I don't know. Either they all make it or none of them make it. I I, I have a feeling the fans like John would have rioted if that. Why? Why? I mean, they have the TV show and they have the movie, but. Is that really how you want to send off your, your character, your beloved characters? No, I mean, for, for the fans speaking as one, I think the biggest hope we took away is that there's a door open. We could we can get more Firefly possibly, but to your point, this is Brad, 2005. So yeah, but to your point, Brad, even even Joss Whedon had admitted in an interview that you know once the movie is over, this is this is pretty much it. This is once done. your movie can start driving, I think you can could probably give up hope that something else is going to happen. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, because you know Firefly. Yeah, it was one. I think it was the first show that got canceled had a major motion picture but i don't think there's ever been a new show created because of the movie i don't think that's ever happened i know there are talks of a revival trying to well do disney new. owns it now so yeah and they'll screw it up but, <laughs> but dude but i mean the mandalorian is kind of a western yeah well and that's that's the great thing again as we talked about before i mean look at it it's great stories great characters you're emotionally invested in them and that's what helps keep these things alive i don't think i would have liked it at all if you had the high body count in in fact 
I really like the climax for a couple of reasons. A, you get an ensemble cast, you feel the tension, you feel everything on the line. I like the little exchange with Kaylee and the doc and all of a sudden she's super depressed, but then she finds a reason why she wants to survive and, it, and it's a bit of a comedic moment. Yeah. But I like the fact that everybody within that ensemble gets a heroic moment. I like the duel between Mal and the operative. It feels exciting and fresh, even though it is on just this sort of closed platform with, with chains and everything. But you get this nice combination of a gun, sword, and fist, and it's all choreographed very well. Yeah. And this river plot finally pays off. And I love that aspect of it. And I love too that they don't concentrate 100% on the choreography of what's happening on the other side of the door. You get glimpses of it. But I love that that character finally pays off for all the quirkiness and, and all the weird stuff that she's doing for the film. It, it's, it's a great climax, in my opinion. And I, I don't think I would have liked it as much if you just had this high body count. I don't care if it's not good, if you're not going to have a Serenity 2 or another TV show, but I want to leave that story thinking that the good guys won and they had some losses and these story arcs that they've been building up for the film. I'm going to put the series out of mind for a second, but the story arcs that they build up at the beginning of the film between um, really River as this central arc, it, it has a nice payoff and, and she ends up saving everybody. And I love that. Yeah, well, I, I let, let me make a sports analogy real quick. So when a person is retiring from a sport that they play, they always have a moment where the, their last game, they take the person out of the game and they let them walk off the court. The crowd gives them a big round of applause. They have their moment and then they disappear. You know what I'm saying? So they never, you know, they never come back. So like to me, like when you let someone kind of have like their death, that's kind of their exiting stage, right? Like, here they go. They're gone. Bye bye. That's how they're exiting the show. That's you need. You need some Jesus in your life, Brad. <laughs> you need some sunshine. <laughs> there, there is one more thing I want to talk about. This is one of the best things about the film that I absolutely love, and it is the fight choreography. So the fight choreography by Ryan Watson is one of the highlights of the film. It's absolutely fantastic, and specifically, there is a sequence with Summer Glau in the bar where mm. it is shot like something from a 90s Hong Kong action film. So Summer Glau trained intensely with fight choreographers about three months before principal photography. And she was a ballet dancer before becoming an actress. What I found interesting is the people that she trained with. So Ryan was the one who did the fight choreography on, on the set. But the people that she worked with to get the fight choreography down, she worked with Hong Kong stunt woman, Ming Lu, Chad Stahelski. You know who Chad Stahelski is, right? Co-director of John Wick. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sorry. yeah. He is okay. one of the most famous <laughs> stunt coordinators and action choreographers out there in Hollywood right now. And um, I believe it's Kira Koda. So she had three fantastic choreographers working with her for months before they put that sequence together. And she is fantastic. That fight sequence I could watch on repeat over and over again. It's one of the highlights of the film. And again, it feels authentic. Summer Glau just, she did all of the stunt work herself. 
I want to see her in, in a Hong Kong inspired action film just after watching that movie. It's so good. Yeah, it was really good. Really nice to see. It was also interesting that Joss Whedon allowed a little bit of a real life, uh, as you said, a ballet dancer to come into as part of her character because that final fight scene where you see her, not only is she fighting all these reavers, but if you look at it from afar, she's she's doing a dance. She's moving so fluidly. I mean, that's why Michelle Yeoh is so good because of her yeah. dancing background. But Summer, I, I could see if she still went down that path, she would be a fantastic uh, just action hero if, if she can pull off those kind of moves and those kind of sequences. And the other thing I really liked about Ryan Watson's choreography in general is River has her very distinctive style. It's very fluid. Mm-hmm. But Mal has his own style during the fight choreography, especially during the big climax. So it everybody who's fighting and they go sort of hand to hand, each one is doing something different and it fits the character. It fits how they would interact. And I love that because too often, especially with fight choreography, everybody knows Kung Fu or everybody knows Jiu Jitsu and right. everybody knows the same thing. And you're seeing the same moves over and over again. That's a little bit boring. One of the, you can tell you've got a good movie when it comes to fight choreography is if that character's personality comes through within the moves. And I think again, that's one of the highlights of this film. Even the swordplay. I mean, you can't forget about the swordplay too. The yeah, swordplay the swordplay is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, between the operative and Mal, it was one of those, as, as you said, Troy, I mean, well, here we have who is deadly precise and, he, and he's been training and studies. And then you have Mal who who's, who's basically, you know, a street fighter. And yeah. it's interesting to see how those two clash and, you know, I'm sorry. Yes, we've all studied. You and I've studied before, Troy. But sometimes you're going to run into that street fighter who's just going to take you down. Yeah, brute force. And I love the fact that that whole end sequence. He starts by using his gun first, shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> and runs yeah. away. Yeah, uh, very Indiana Jones. It, yeah. it is, but it 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 just makes for just a fascinating and exciting action choreography. Again, when you see the character come through within the fight styles and I, I you just don't see that enough and and that's what makes it so good yep I, I gotta tell you watching the series again and I I know I really dumped hard on Firefly at the end of the day I think it's okay it's a good series I will watch it again over and over in the future because I do like sequences and there's episodes in there but when I sat down watching Serenity I wasn't all that excited and then as soon as I finished watching Serenity, I could have watched it again. I love that film so much. And I was so excited to learn that there's a 4K out there too. So I'm buying that yes. this week and I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> Can I come over? Absolutely. It has a DTS-X soundtrack, which is like Ooh. an Atmos thing. So that thing is going to sing. But I'm, I'm excited to watch this. And I'm, I was really excited to rediscover this. But it's so odd to me because I know everybody loves the TV series, except Brad. And I know everybody loves the film except Brad, but I find it odd personally myself to go. I think the TV series actually is just okay. It's got a lot of problems, but I don't really find anything wrong with the film. I love the film. And I, I just find that weird, especially considering it's the same people in front of the camera and behind the camera that did, you know, the TV series. Yeah. Well, speaking as again, a fan, I, I love both. Because again, watching the series for God knows how many times I've watched it so many um, 
it was like I was back in 2002, Friday nights, and there it was. And I, I loved everything about it. I loved the characters. I love how they delivered in the movie. Uh, it, it, for me, this was something special to the point. Um, again, I got, I, I collected the comic books, uh, got little trinkets. My wife made me buy her a specific sh shirt because all it says is, I aim to misbehave. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, what do you do? It, it, it's a great, on my wall, I have a giant Firefly poster, just a huge fan. I thought it delivered. Um, something to consider for what Brad mentioned. Yeah, Mal, Mal may not be Han Solo, but Han Solo does appear in the Firefly series. I won't tell you where. You're going to have to go back and watch it. <laughs> yeah, Brad. Oh. No? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, John, Brad, any other thoughts on Serenity? No. I think we hit on everything I got. All right. Well, it's time for the question then. John, I'm going to start with you since you're our guest. We are talking about the film, not, not the TV series, but 2005 Serenity. Is Serenity a bomb? No, it's not. It, for me, it hit on all cylinders that I was looking for, character, story, uh, visuals, uh, and, and bottom line, storytelling. I, yeah, there's, there may be one or two you know, flaws in it, but overall, from a movie standpoint, I thought it was just fantastic. Just Brad? fantastic. What about you? Um, so I think when push comes to shove, I think sci-fi is my favorite genre. Um, and over horror really yeah yeah okay i mean because sci-fi can also have horror elements too so okay true um you know like i said this is like a like a perfect five or six out of ten movie um I'm trying to think does that make it a bomb like i didn't would regret you, would you recommend it i i mean if you have no attachment to the series you can definitely watch this movie and understand what's going on it's not some you know you're not coming into return of the jedi and having zero context of what's going on right so you know i guess it's not a bomb really i mean it, it it you know john satisfied as a fan i could understand it and watch it and, and enjoyed my time i don't think it's anything stellar but it's not terrible um there are some cool parts but again i just wish i like remembered and I, I wanted this movie to affect me more and it didn't, but you know, that may be me like wanting a space opera Western to like be more than it really was. And, and that might be also that I could not get over the fact that they are riding around in a PlayStation one graphics uh, <laughs> space vehicle, but you know, so maybe, yeah, it's, it's not a bomb. I mean, okay. maybe if you asked me tomorrow, I would say it is a bomb. I'm like 40, 51%. Yes, not a bomb. 49% saying it is a bomb. So, you know, it's close. But today it's not a bomb. And today it's not a bomb. That's okay. all it counts. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out and buy the 4K. So it's definitely not a bomb. I'm... I might do that anyway. You know, <laughs> because I, I want to have all the movies that we've done. So, yeah, yeah I, I love this film so much. I had so much fun with it. I definitely enjoyed rediscovering it again. I, I liked going back and watch TV series. And even though I have like four more episodes to finish, I'm going to go finish it because I like those characters it, it's it's super fun and and for anybody who's a little I don't know worried so to Brad's point I think some people who've never seen Star Wars at all 
they get a little intimidated by, oh, I got to go watch all the TV shows or the movies, et cetera. What I love about this is you can just jump right into the film. You don't have to watch the 14 episodes and you, you get a great movie. The only, the only bad thing about the film is don't watch it through the credits because towards the end of the credits, you get the instrumental version of the theme song, which is horrible. <laughs> and you know what, folks, if you just, if you do end up watching the series, just skip through the credits, maybe watch it to kind of go, well, how bad is the theme song? And then you're like, oh, it was really bad. And then fast forward through all that stuff. But yeah, th this film, not a bomb at all. Love it. Love every second. Sweet. Triple. So Brad, we, when we talked about Memoirs of an Invisible Man last week, had the good fortune of coming across a couple of books. Well, one book, a couple of copies, I should say. It was My Year of Chevy, One Guy's Journey Through the Filmography of Chevy Chase, written by our good friend, Mike McGrenian. And we decided, hey folks, let's throw it out there for some listeners. We are looking for some recommendations for March. We've got February pretty much booked up. And we said, hey, let's hear about your favorite movie bomb. And if it's something that wasn't on our list or something that, I don't know, tickled our fancy, we were going to pick two of them. You were going to pick one. I was going to pick one. And you would win this book. So we actually got a ton of great recommendations. We did. I was Nick, happily ben. surprised. Yeah. I, I, some of our regulars sent some stuff in. I was surprised just at some of the things. Uh, Star 80 Southland Tales, they came from Nick and Ben. We also had some like Hudson Hawk, My Science Project. Uh, this one was interesting. Hot Rod that got uh, sent over to me via email. <laughs> we had some that were listing some things that were already on our list, like Haywire, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, uh, Art of Self-Defense. I added to the list because that one came my way too. 13th Warrior was recommended. And I know that's already on our list, but saw it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had so many people participate and I want to thank everybody for either throwing something on social media, sending us an email, either texting or emailing us directly. But I got to ask you, Brad, you, you looked at all these recommendations. Did you come to a conclusion on which one you wanted to pick and send a book out to? Yes. So I am picking Kevin's pick and it is the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. 1984. 84. Nice. Oh my gosh. That's going to be so science much fun. fiction film. Nice. If you want me to pick a movie, pick it, pick it as a science fiction film. And that's a good chance I'll pick it. Okay, so I really couldn't decide. There's so many things coming in. I was really excited about a couple of them, but when this one came through, and I know you haven't seen it, and I haven't seen it for a while, and I think it'll be an interesting film to talk about, but I'm going to go with Philip's recommendation from 1990, Quick Change, starring Bill Murray, and he also co-directed it, Randy Quaid and Gina Davis. Oh my gosh, that movie was I, awesome. I, never heard of it oh my gosh yeah i i'm so excited to talk about that so thank you everybody we're gonna get a hold of kevin and philip and we just will send out your books to you i'm sure we're gonna have some more giveaways in the future brad if anybody wants to get a hold of us how do they do that yeah it's not a bomb podcast across social media um gmail is not a bomb pod at gmail.com keep sending in those suggestions and recommendations we will um you know, add them to the list. Um, we've got a ton more. Um, you know, we, it's great. Cause like quick change, I'd never heard of it. And you know, now I get to watch it. So I would never have like sought out a film like that. So that's awesome. Buckaroo Banzai is just a fun film that I wanted to rewatch. So 
I'm I'm excited for Buckaroo Banzai. I think they have a comic book series coming out this year in August that's supposed to be a sequel. And that I always like the movies that bombed but have an interesting, I don't know, backstory to the either the creation or the filming of it, but especially the ones that have some life after it. So both of these films that we're going to talk about, Quick Change and, and Buckaroo Banzai, have some, I don't know, great behind-the-scenes stories, but they're going to be fun movies to You got to that Arrow video, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, by chance? Uh, was was it Shout? I got the Shout Factory, I think, oh, okay. the release. Maybe, yeah. Okay. So we need to talk about next week, right? Yes, we do. <laughs> so it's it'll be the last one that we do in January, because we record on Sundays. It is the last i don't know what you would say uh listener pick yeah listener request month maybe? that we got months ago and what's interesting is this has actually come our way a couple of times either through social media a couple suggestions and even when i talk about people uh, or talk to people about their favorite movie bombs this one pops up and i'm always <laughs> like are you are you serious is is that really what you're you're recommending but Brad, it's episode 34, so I'm I'm giving my pick over to a couple of our listeners who have recommended, and it's something I've never seen. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's none other than Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm watching Showgirls. I can't believe I just said that. When, I, I, when you and I were coming up with this concept to do this podcast, I never thought showgirls would be something i would have to watch for it so i knew there were going to be a lot of 90s films i think that came out in 95 and i always forget about this film it's it's from a director i just watched total recall in 4k last week absolutely love that film and i totally forget this movie is in his filmography yeah robocop's one of my favorite films oh, yeah. I, this one is fascinating to me and i know there is a new documentary that came out not too recently i you don't know no know me something like that based on it's you don't and whoever the female lead's name is i i I can't remember but we're gonna try and and watch showgirls and the new documentary i think we've got a special guest coming on because as soon as we decided that we were going to do this you and i this is an all new territory yeah we had to go find somebody that could probably talk to this film so we're going to bring a fantastic guest on next week. I'm going to keep it a surprise, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm excited or not. I'm, this is definitely one not watching with the kids. No, don't, uh, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 Famously an NC 17 movie. Yeah. Um, well, this will be interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know how much homework I'm going to do on this one. Um, yeah. Well, Hey, yeah, so there's that. There's that. <laughs> John, How do you get into show? You, Johnny, you talk you, about showgirls. Have you ever seen showgirls? To my, you know, shame, yes. Oh, so you have seen? Okay. Yes. All right. Eh, whew, okay. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I've only seen a trailer, uh, so it'll be interesting. I totally forgot who's like all the people that are in it too. Just blow my mind, but yeah. <laughs> okay. They're going for something. All right. Well, hey, John, I can't thank you enough. Uh, once again, you knock it out of the ballpark. I feel like when Brad and I come across a particular uh, franchise or something that we're not 100% familiar with, 
you always deliver. You come with the homework, oh. you come with the stories and the great analysis. And I, I apologize for picking apart your number three favorite TV show of all time. It, but uh, you know, I hope Mia doesn't kill me because I know she loves. <laughs> no, that's actually no. the one I'm worried about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, she still hasn't forgiven you from uh, Air Force. So, oh I'll yeah, <laughs> oh. we're just an idiot when it comes to stuff like that. So, oh, no. apologize. No, it's no, it's it's quite all right. It's always a it's always a blast, guy. Especially to talk about something I truly, truly love: Serenity, Firefly. Uh, it, it's just awesome, 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 awesome. It was a good discussion. It was a lot of fun. Well, what else, Brad? We missing? That's anything? it, man. All right. Well, listen, I don't Showgirls. know. Showgirls. Showgirls. Yeah. If you're <laughs> look, I'm I'm not going to tell you to play along this week. Just tune in next week and find out if Brad and I are still married. How, how uncomfortable it can get, and how awkward that episode. That's probably going to be the most awkward discussion ever. Um, yeah, and I got to bring it to my wife. Hey. I'm watching Showgirls. <laughs> they already did that. Already broke that ice. Oh, okay. Hey, guess who? Like someone recommended this to us. We have to do it. So. We have to do it. Okay. <laughs> They're twisting our arms. All right. So look, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. We cannot thank you enough for downloading the show, listening, participating, emailing us, all that good stuff. But uh, hey, thanks a lot. And I hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I was on another podcast. Oh. Prince with Cinefits. Yeah, you talked about oh, Akira. Yes. I talked about Akira. So that should be out when this is out. So go find that. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Alex, for having me. Cool. And then what I said previously, have an awesome yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye. <laughs>